At this time, the children are dismissed. They can go with Isaac to Children's Church. I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll be looking at just the first three verses of the chapter. We're in chapter 13 because I just preached the second half of chapter 11 and chapter 12, August of 2016. And so rather than preaching through those again, so since I preached through them so recently, we're going to go ahead and move to chapter 13. Now, if you're wondering, whatever happened to the sermon about head coverings that was scheduled to have happened last week, but I just didn't feel confident enough in my understanding of the passage to preach it, I did do a write-up of my understanding of the passage and put it on our church website. It's doolinsgrovechurch.org. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but you should go. There's sermon recaps all the way back, uh, I think all the way back to 2009 when I began, and sermon audio I know all the way back, and also information about things coming up as a church and things like that. But that, if, if you are interested, and I would encourage you to go and look at it and see what you think about the passage that we were going to look at last week in 1 Corinthians 11 that is available to you. But for us today, we're going to move forward into chapter 13, and we're going to spend three weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the chapter about Christian love. This is the love chapter. I guarantee you've heard some of these verses before if you've ever been to a Christian wedding. I guarantee you've heard some of the verses we're going to look at in this chapter. We'll look at the ones that you've heard in the wedding next Sunday, and I think they'll be really good verses for Mother's Day Sunday. And then we'll finish up the Sunday after that. This Sunday, though, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, to get us in the zone of understanding what this passage is about, I want you to put yourself in the position of parents or a parent trying to get the whole family ready and out the door for church on a Sunday morning. Now, maybe some of you have recently been in this position, maybe just even a couple hours ago. Others of you might be remembering back to when your kids were little and what that was like. You've got to get up, you've got to get all the clothes picked out, laid out, maybe even ironed, everybody dressed. You've got to figure out breakfast, get that dealt with. If kids have spilt breakfast on them, then there's a change of clothes that has to happen you got to remember everybody's stuff, Bibles, whatever they need, stuff to do, snacks to eat, because they're going to be hungry again in 10 minutes anyway. You've got to get them out the door, into the car, and on the road in time to get to church. So put yourself in that position. That's your, every week, that's what you have to do. Weeks come by, you get better and better at it, and you start to uh, learn tricks to, to do it better. Lay the clothes out the night before, go ahead and iron them. Plan the breakfast, have it already, go ahead and pour the cereal in the milk the night before so it's there for them when they come around the corner. You get so good at it, the clothes, the food, the stuff for church, everything's all set to where you're able to get up and out the door in 30 seconds and you get all the way to church and you get out and you shut the door and you realize you forgot the children. No wonder it was going so well. No wonder it was so easy. You forgot the main point of your role as a parent, which was to get those kids to church. You did all the other stuff, but you forgot the main point, which was those people who were right in front of you. That's something like what was going on in the Corinthian church that prompted Paul to write 1 Corinthians 13. So when someone becomes a Christian and they get saved, 
Their sins are forgiven. They're reconciled to God. But that's not it. There's good works prepared for those people. And God gives them the Holy Spirit. So each believer gets filled with the Holy Spirit and given spiritual gifts, abilities to serve in the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. It's amazing. Now, the Corinthian Christians were all about the spiritual gifts. And it seems as though, if you look back into chapter 12, they were even using spiritual gifts as a reason to divide up against one another. And they were saying, well, I have this gift, and it's better than your gift, so I'm a better Christian than you are. And in all their excitement over having spiritual gifts and doing ministry, they were forgetting the people right in front of them that they were called to love. In all their excitement over their Christian life, and even doing ministry with spiritual gifts, they were forgetting to love the people right in front of them. And Paul is writing this beautiful chapter, it's almost like poetry, to correct them and say, you're missing the whole point. As Christians, we can get so wrapped up in our lives and even in ministry itself that we forget to love the people that are right in front of us. And so, prepare to be corrected if that is you. We're going to just read these first three verses together. This is what Paul calls the more excellent way at the end of chapter 12. And he makes really three points in these three verses. And the first one is, without love, even the very best speakers say nothing. Without love, even the very best Christian speakers say nothing. Let's read verse 1 together. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. The Corinthian Christians in that culture, they loved eloquent speakers. They loved eloquent speakers. People would come through town and be giving speeches and crowds would flock to listen and they would talk about, were they good or bad? Were they better than the last guy or worse than the last guy? And this was their version of The Voice or American Idol. They didn't have all the abundant ways of entertaining themselves that we have. They had people who would come through and give speeches. And they loved, the, the people who were the best speakers were heroes in that culture. They loved people who could speak well. Maybe this is what Paul is talking about. And he's saying, even if I was the best, most eloquent speaker you've ever heard, without love, it's just racket. It's just noise. It may be that he's talking specifically about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues here. Now, that's a whole big can of worms that we're not really going to fully open this morning, but we will when we get to chapter 14. But basically, the spiritual gift of tongues is when the Holy Spirit enables you to communicate the gospel or great things about God in a language you don't know. And that's bizarre, I know. That's a bizarre thing to just throw out there and leave it at that and not talk any further about it. But it seems like that's actually what he's talking about. If I speak in the tongues of men, that could very well be mean if God enables me to share the gospel in French, if I find myself around French-speaking people and I don't know French, but if He enables me to do that, or if He enables me to speak in the tongue of angels, which might mean more of a private prayer language that more charismatic believers practice. 
We might be talking about any of these things. Our, our purpose this morning isn't to nail down exactly which one. Because his point is, even if I did all these things at the same time while juggling, if I don't have love, it's just senseless noise. It's just a bunch of racket. It's meaningless. And it helps no one. See, they thought that people with lesser gifts were lesser people. And so they would look down on each other. And they would speak, perhaps in tongues, and think that they were super-duper great Christians doing super-duper great Christian ministry. And Paul was saying, what you're doing is just noise. Because you're not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, to put it in our context, let's just imagine, really put on your imagination caps here, Let's just imagine that this was the best sermon you have ever heard in your entire life. You've never seen Matt Broadway preach like he's preaching right now. Everything is alliterated and rhymes. He's, he is using his voice beyond that one band of range that he has, and he's making it go high and low, and he's, he's talking loud in some parts and quiet in other parts, so that it's really engaging, and he's gesticulating. He's moving his arms around, and he's even stepping out from behind the podium to make points. And it's so engaging. And it's biblical. It's right in line with the Scripture. And it's just what you needed to hear because it has to do with what you're going through in your life. And it's just the most amazing sermon. There's even freestyle rapping right in the middle of it. And you can't get the lyrics out of your mind the rest of the week. It's so good. But, before I came up here, I was a jerk to the people who took up the offering. So my way up, I slapped the offering plate out of their hands, said, pick it up, offering collectors. I'm about to preach. Now that one act of jerkishness would have completely ruined and invalidated that awesome sermon, would it not? It would have completely turned it into noise and racket. Now why is that? Well, I think we as Christians intuitively know that humble Christ-like love is the authenticating seal on any form of ministry. And without it, and especially where there is the opposite of it, it's rendered null and void and worthless, certainly before God and even before us. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Even the very best preaching from someone who was just incredibly impatient with a younger brother and sister in Christ is noise. Even the very best Sunday school lesson from someone who is just mean-spirited to their brother and sister in Christ is like a gong. The best Christian conversation that you can have trying to be an encouragement with the heart of, of sinful envy rather than love and gladness for your brothers and sisters. is like a clanging cymbal. When Jesus Christ transforms a person, that person receives the amazing love of Christ and is then changed to be a transmitter of that love to other people. And where that love is not flowing through, ministry is invalidated. So the first point, without love, even the very best speakers say nothing. 
His second point in verse 2, without love, even the most impressive people are nothing. Without love, even the most impressive people are nothing. Verse 2, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing? No, that's not what it says. It says, I am nothing. Prophetic powers. These, Paul himself clearly indicates, are of primary significance in the church. This is proclaiming and speaking God's truth. It's very important to the life of the church. The ability to understand all mysteries and all knowledge. This would have been a favorite for the Corinthian Christians. They loved people who were super wise and understood mysteries and could plumb the depths of human knowledge beyond what other humans could do. They loved that. All faith so as to remove mountains. Now this is an idiom. This was a saying that they would understood to mean that special gift of faith that would enable you to perform miracles, really. Do the impossible. So Paul said, even if I have what I myself consider to be the, the most primary significant gift for the church, or even the ones you love so much, knowing the unknowable, or even being able to do the undoable, because I have such great faith, even if I have all that, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Now, imagine that you had all that. Maybe you just came from Sunday school. Imagine you had the ability to understand all mysteries and all knowledge. So during Sunday school, you could just stand up and be like, whoa, 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 nice try. And didn't just pour forth all this amazing knowledge, and it's true, and it's right on. Quoting Scripture from memory, depths of understanding nobody else has. You would feel pretty significant, I think, in that moment, wouldn't you? You'd probably feel pretty substantial. You'd be waiting for class to end to get the pats on the back and people to say, man, you really understand things. You understand all kinds of mysteries. It would feel like something. I imagine this is part of the temptation that the Corinthians were struggling with. They wanted to, they thought their spiritual gifts made them something. And Paul is saying, no, you have all this, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. Now, the point isn't that any one of these Corinthian Christians did have all these things, yet didn't love people. The point is that they were missing the point. They were bragging about their spiritual gifts and looking down on other people and missing the point that it was all there for them to love one another in Christ-like humility. They were being arrogant and rude and insisting on their own way and then bragging about how great their spiritual gifts were. Now, Every church generation and tradition has their spiritual gifts that they think are the coolest For the Corinthians, it was all about the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge and the the really good speakers. I think for us, it's still the really good speakers. It's the really, really great speakers that go get invited to the big church conferences. And it's also maybe leadership. 
I think in our age is one of the spiritual gifts that's really held up there. These are the, these are the substantial people. And there's always a temptation if you have some of these spiritual gifts to sort of think of yourself as being something. But it's not your spiritual gifts that make you something. It's your Christ-like love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So without love, even the very best speakers say nothing. Without love, even the most impressive people are nothing. And then finally, verse 3, without love, even the most radically generous person gains nothing. Without love, even the most radically generous person gains nothing. Let's look at verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. First he's talking about speaking great things, and then he's talking about being great, and now he's talking about doing great things, and he's saying without love they're all rendered nothing. Give away all I have. That's the idea of dividing up all that I own and distributing it to the needy. Delivering up my body to be burned. That's the idea of just handing over myself even physically. Might be the idea of martyrdom. But done without love gains nothing. Now it would seem like those were definitely actions of love, aren't they? I mean, if somebody was that generous to give away all that they had, including even their physical bodies, that has to be love, doesn't it? Well, Paul's saying, not necessarily. God's people have done dramatically, visibly generous things with impure motives from the beginning. The Pharisees were professionals at this. They would loudly drop their offerings into the receptacle so that everybody would see what they gave, and they thought they were so great. And they were giving more than others, and yet they gained nothing in God's sight because they weren't loving. So that would be like when Elias was holding the penny crusade jar. If you came up and took out this huge wad of $100 bills and did like a 360 slam dunk into the container so everybody could see it, then you pull out another one and just let it all fall so everybody can see how generous you are to world missions. You gain nothing. You gain nothing from that. Offering plate generosity added to an unloving disposition to your brother and sister in Christ equals zero in God's accounting. It gains you nothing in His sight. His priority isn't that you give super generously First, his priority is that you love the people around you, that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. First and primarily in your local church family. So we need to think about ourselves. We need to think about our acts of service in the church. We need to think about the things God has enabled us to do, the, the gifts he's given us. What, what is your spiritual gift? What is, how has God enabled you to serve in the church? What are you doing within the church family? It might be in an official role Sunday school teacher, deacon, deaconess, trustee, it might be unofficially just the relationships that God has given you within the church where you can pray for and encourage people in conversation. could be any number of things. Think about your service in the church and then think about your heart toward the people of the church. You need to know that God's first and foremost priority is that your heart toward the people of the church be one of Christ-like love. 
And only then can your acts of service be forms of genuine worship. Without that, these end up being twisted. The motives get twisted and tangled and it becomes selfish. We can end up getting proud and arrogant about what we do in the church family. We can end up easily offended when other people don't appreciate us like we ought to be appreciated. It turns into this weird backwards thing. So we have to always go back and let the Holy Spirit reveal to us our heart toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, sometimes if you're really involved in the life of church, and that, that waxes and wanes, the seasons of life change for us, but if at any given time you've been really involved in the ministry of a local church, you know that it can get very frustrating. And what makes it so frustrating? Oh, the people. The people we work with don't see it the way we do. The people that we hope will move forward in Christ just aren't. And sometimes it seems like it'd be so much easier to do church if there was just no people involved. But obviously that's ridiculous because the church is all about the people. People are the church. So we must never look past the person, the person right in front of us to ministry out there. We need to remember that this is ministry right here. This is, this person is who God has called us to love. The one that's right here right now. That's who God has called us to build up in Christ, to pray for, to encourage, to, when we see them slipping into sin, to, to go warmly and gently warn them, come back into fellowship. These people right in front of us, that this is our calling. The evidence that the gospel is indeed at work in a church isn't how busy they are in ministry endeavors, although that most likely will come. The true evidence is how they love each other. That's what Jesus said. They'll know you're my disciples because of the love you have for one another. Sometimes it's tempting to skip that and just get busy doing ministry stuff. But you just can't. can't skip it. That is the ministry stuff. I really think God has called us to great things as a local church because I believe He has done so for every local church. I believe He's called us to speak great things. I think He's called us to speak to each other in a way that builds up the body of Christ here. He's called us to proclaim the gospel and personal evangelism out there in the world. He's called some of you to teach. He's called, perhaps, some of you to even preach. Maybe He is stirring in some of you and you'll be called even to missions, foreign missions where you'll go and proclaim the gospel. I believe He's called us to proclaim great things in the gospel. I believe He's called us to be kingdom people, gifted spiritually to do kingdom work. That might look like understanding mysteries. Some, some will be gifted to plumb the depths here and come up with great and helpful understanding. I think He's called us to do great things. might be great acts of radical generosity. It might be, like I said, going in missions. Specifically, I think He's calling us to a refreshed approach to church membership. And that's something that is in the works. And then I, I think He's calling us to be cultivating a culture of personal evangelism that will hopefully lead to a culture of missions engagement. And I want us to move forward in all this. And I think we are. But we can never skip loving one another in pursuit of all this ministry that we want to do. We always start there. And we never leave. That's always a part of it. Loving one another in Christ.
So remember, if you're a Christian, you have received from God through Jesus Christ lavish mercy, which means He didn't give you the punishment you deserve. And you've received lavish grace, which means you've received blessing that you didn't earn. He lavishes forgiveness on you for when you fail and sin and rebel against Him. He lavishes this love on you so that you will be spilling over with it and you'll become a pipeline of it into the lives of the people around you, especially in your local church family. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that this is the prayer emphasis month and the the focus of it has to do with repentance. And so we'll land on a note of repentance. I'm going to read next week's passage as we pray together and as we close, verses 4 through 7. These are verses that you've certainly heard if you've gone to weddings. It's actually not about marital love specifically, except that marital love is an extension of Christian love. It's actually about church love. This is how we are to love one another as Christians. So I'll invite you to do the classic closing prayer thing and close your eyes and bow your head so that you can focus and just listen to this description of love. And as you hear these descriptions, if the Lord brings to mind any way in which you are out of sync with this, I encourage you to repent and ask God to forgive you and change you to be more Christ-like in this. And He will, because that's what He's doing among us. So let's pray together. And as you're praying, I'll read these verses. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Father, thank you for reminding us of what is first and primary in our ministries, which is loving one another with the love we've received through Christ. I pray first that if there's anybody here who hasn't received this love through Christ, that you would do that in their hearts right now, that you would call them to repentance and a response of faith in Jesus, that they would give their lives to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Any among us, actually all of us, in the ways in which we fail to love one another with the perfect love of Christ, would you please bring about repentance in us? Lord, help us to move forward from here, loving one another with the love of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for allowing us to be your people. Thank you for allowing us this privilege. Or may we be a church that reflects Jesus' love and brings you great honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.